Okay, so Revelation chapter 20. This is our third time in chapter 20. And I'm going to start at verse 11 and go to the end, verse 15. So we finally made it to the very end of this wonderful chapter. Now this is, I will confess to you, one of my favorite portions of the Bible anywhere. Because what this describes as a final judgment should shape really everything you and I think about. Everything we think about our lives, everything we think about what we're doing, it's the way we think about our past, it's the way we think about Jesus, I mean all of it, because this is, this is the one and only description of judgment in the book of Revelation. Now, 1 Corinthians has something about it, 2 Corinthians has something about it, Jesus spoke about final judgment, I mean you can find things scattered all through the Bible that deal with this truth about judgment. But in Revelation, this is the one and only judgment scene. And so, you know, I've said this before about Revelation. There are uh, all these other things described, you know, in, in Millennial Kingdom and all of that in this chapter. But there's only, there's two resurrections, but there's only one judgment in the, in the book of Revelation. So let's read it. We'll pray again, and then we'll just walk our way through these wonderful verses. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pause again and pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your word. When we read this, it is a uh, very uh, somber reminder to us of what must happen and where all of us will one day be. You are the Almighty. You are the final judge of all of us. And tonight as we consider these verses, help us to understand these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you're an imaginative person, this is either a you know, fantastic kind of description or it can be terrifying when you think about it. It is the great white throne judgment. It's not described like this anywhere else in the Bible. So here's what I want to do. I just want to walk you through it. You start with the throne scene itself. And, and really before I say that, let me do it this way. Think about, say, those 2,000 years before Jesus was born. The people of God, the Jewish people in particular, children of Israel before that, they had been hearing that the Messiah would come. You know, the prophets had spoken of him. Um, they had these things written down. When they went to the synagogue, it was read. It was talked about. They kept hearing, he's coming. He's coming. This is what he'll be like when he gets here. This is a description of him. This is what he's going to do. You know, and they, they especially loved that, that train of thought in the scripture that says he's coming like a king, like a warrior, because the scripture speaks of him that way. Maybe they were guilty of minimizing the other stream of thought that speaks of him as a suffering servant. And it kind of makes sense, you know, if you're Messiah, your king's coming, don't you want him to be more warrior and less suffering servant? Kind of makes sense. I can see why people would gravitate to that. But for hundreds and hundreds of years, that's what they heard. 
And they had to believe in one that God would send in the future. And then he came. Then he was born. Yes? John was in the spirit when he saw all this, wasn't he? Correct. He didn't go there. No, that's not how we see it. That's right. He was in the spirit. This is the revelation given to him. So they were looking forward for all of those years. I mean, people lived and died looking forward to something that had not happened yet. Now, we come to this side of the cross, and there's a different focus. He's coming back. He's coming again. And for now some 2,000 years, the church has been saying, hey, look, these are the last days. He could return at any time. For 2,000 years, we've been saying that. And you can understand why some people kind of on the fringes that understand a little bit about what we believe, you can understand why some of those people would kind of look at us and go, what are y'all talking about? It's been forever. And in fact, that's what some of the mockers will do to the Christian faith. They'll say, you know, it's just fantasy. You're just talking about something that helps you feel better. There's, there's not going to be this thing you keep talking about. Well, can you see how that would have happened 3,000 years ago when people were thinking about a Messiah that would one day come to this earth and be born and be this, this great king to lead his people to freedom? You know, they, they could have said the same thing. Well, they've been saying that forever, and it hasn't happened yet. We're in the same boat. We're just not thinking about his first appearance in this world. We're thinking about his return. Yes? Somebody said something on the radio the other day about that. If you believe in such and such, numerically somebody figured out that either Monday or Tuesday was supposed to be the end of the world. Oh, yes, yes. That guy, um, there's no such thing as a Christian numerologist. I don't know who made that up, you know. But this guy has chosen several dates in the past. He... Um, He's, he's, he's from the line of thought that there's a rapture that happens before the tribulation starts. And y'all heard me talk about that. You know, I was raised that way, that the rapture will happen first, and that starts the seven-year clock for tribulation. Okay, that's the way I was raised. Okay, that's where he's coming from, and the rapture was supposed to happen on Monday. Here we are. I'm pretty sure I didn't get left out. I don't think you got left out. Do you know anybody that's gone? You missing any friends? Yeah, so we're either all unbelievers... Or he was wrong, again, you know. So I just don't worry myself with that. I just do not. This is what I do know. When Jesus returns, everybody's going to know it. Nobody's going to miss it. No one's going to miss it. And, and yeah, and, and, and like, the, like lightning from the east to the west. That's how, you know, Jesus described. You are not going to miss when he comes. The first time he kind of snuck in. Born in Bethlehem, I don't know if it was a quiet night or not, but you could see how the rest of the world, they just didn't know. I mean, those guys over in Iraq that were paying attention, they knew something was up and they made their trip over. Okay, but most of the world was oblivious that the, the Savior of the world had been born. Okay, when he comes back, nobody's going to be oblivious. You know, no one's going to miss it. Well, I get a little nervous every time they have two and three full moons. Yeah, 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 just... I just don't, and, and that's what I say about the doctrine part, because people differ with me on doctrine, you know. I mean, that, that's okay. But when he comes back, it won't matter if you got it right or you got it wrong. When he comes back, he's coming back for his people. He's not going to leave anybody out because they were theologically inaccurate. That's how I look at it. <laughs> yeah, and that's where we're going. And so in this chapter, it's pretty spectacular because not only do we, we read about in chapter 19 the coming of Christ, but in chapter 20 we read about what it's going to be like when he comes back because the devil will be bound. So there's no demonic, no devilish, evil influence in the world whatsoever for this long period of time known as a thousand years. 
But the saints come back too, so that's you. That's me. That's why I think we got it made. Like we're the, we, we were so blessed because when Jesus comes back, the saints rule and reign with him on the earth. But there are going to be people left on the earth that make it through the tribulation. Uh, and they're still going to be here too. It's going to be unlike anything we've ever known. Uh, you're going to have resurrected people who never die again on the earth with people who do. Well, we won't have to worry about being prosecuted. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And so, but here, this is the thing we looked at last week. At the end of that time, the devil is let loose again. He's set free again. And all of us are going, but why? You know, why after a thousand years and Jesus has come back, why does he get to be set free again? And that's a great question. The best answer that I've ever heard, best answer that I can possibly throw at that is because as soon as he's let out in a short period of time, the people who are not believers, they rally to his side again. Okay, they are deceived. Sounds like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Okay, sounds like the same thing. So after a thousand years of no evil influence, people still choose wrong. Not the resurrected saints, but, but people. And if that proves anything, it proves that the problem is not out there in our environment. It's in here in our hearts. That's what it proves. Okay, so there's just no argument around it. Uh, we have free will. And we can make choices, and people will choose against Christ. They will choose their own way. Sunday, we're going to talk about pride, and maybe pride was the original sin. Maybe. The Bible doesn't really say. But, but pride in its heart, at its heart, is saying, I know better than you, God. I know you said that, but I'm going to do this thing, right? That's pride. And we'll talk about that Sunday. And because of that, and because of sin, and all those things, our only true hope is to be connected to God. Our only true hope is to have the Holy Spirit living within us. Our only true hope is to be redeemed through Jesus Christ. We were made to live in that kind of relationship with our God. And when all this shakes out, when it's all done, there's a final judgment. And so we're looking at the description of that judgment now. And it starts out with something called a great white throne. So it's great. You could say, well, it's great. So that means great in status, great in power, however you want to look at that. It's white, which is the symbol of purity and holiness. It's a throne. So it speaks of, of God as the king and as the one who is sovereign over all things. And then notice what John wrote. wrote. He said, I saw him who sat on it. Couldn't he have just said, I saw Jesus? <laughs> Couldn't he just say, I saw God? But he does what the prophets of the Old Testament did when they saw God. They said, I saw the one sitting on the throne. Ezekiel, how did Ezekiel put it? I saw the, the, the image of the glory of the one. You know, he was like three levels removed from saying he saw God, but that's, that's how he, he reverenced God. But he says, I saw him who sat on the throne. Jesus said it, and it's recorded in John 5, if you want to look that up, it's in John 5, 22 to 27, that you are to honor the Son because all judgment's been given to the Son. God the Father could be the judge, but He's given all His judgment to the Son. So that, that's where that is. And, and maybe people want to think of the Trinity, the triune God, you know, as the one on the throne. But Jesus said all judgment's been given to Him. So when you think about the judgment, it is Him. In First and Second Corinthians, it's known as the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, so Jesus is the judge. The scripture goes on to say in verse 11 that the earth and heaven fled away. So it's just a description that this is such an awe-inspiring, powerful moment that if any of us could get away, we would. 
You know, we, anybody, um, it's just, it's that overwhelming, but there is nowhere to go. There is no escape. This is one of those things where I just think about the people who say, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't care what you say. And I'm thinking to myself, but one day everybody's going to be there. It, do, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not, you're still going to be there. That's kind of how that works. Like you can tell me you don't believe in paying taxes. They'll still, still send you a bill, Right. Whether you believe in it or not. These people that say, I don't believe in money, you know, and they got the, all these things. Look, they will still get you. <laughs> They'll still send you the property tax bill whether you believe in it or you don't believe in it. All right, so this great white throne, let me throw this out there for you. There are people, and I'm not one of them, but there are people that say Christians won't be at the great white throne. That they will be at something called the judgment seat of Christ, as though those were two separate things. What I'm telling you is in Revelation, there's only one. Okay, there's only one judgment. And Jesus is on this throne. So the, ju the, the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne to me is one single event. Everybody's going to be there. Now here's the difference. There are two groups of people that are going to be before the throne. Those who belong to Jesus and those who don't. And those who belong to Jesus are never going to be punished for anything because all of our sins have been paid for, right? Everything we've ever done wrong, he paid for. Our judgment was in Christ. But we will still, like the judgment seat of Christ, Scripture says, we will still uh, find out what our works were worth. The Scripture on that is 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So you're not going to be condemned for one thing you've done. You will not stand before God and be condemned for any sin or any action. However, we are going to find out about the things we've done and worth, whether they are worth anything in eternity. That's true. Again, never condemned, never punished for sin. Jesus took that. But when Jesus and, and, and the New Testament speaks of reward in heaven, those are eternal things. And I prayed about this Sunday when we were taking up, my, taking up um, our offering together. And when I did my prayer... I prayed about this because only God can take something like money, like a dollar bill or a check somebody puts in the offering plate. Only God can take that and turn it into something that lasts forever. Only God can do that. God, God can take money and turn it into some kind of action or ministry out there where somebody's life is impacted in such a way that it goes to heaven. You know, a person goes to heaven or the work lasts forever or it's a work or thing that happened that will last and stand even through the final judgment. Only God can do that. But that's amazing to me. Just amazing. It's one of the reasons I encourage people, serve and give. Do those two things. Serve and give. Because that's the only way you're going to do anything that lasts forever. If you don't serve and you don't give, when you get there, don't expect to have anything, right? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's how it works. If, if it's going to be something, if you're going to, there are things you can take with you when you die. Those are eternal things. But they're all connected to people. Every last one of them. They are not connected to anything else that stays in this world. There's only really one thing that leaves this world and goes into heaven, right? People. People. Every single time. So again, 2 Corinthians 5.10. There's another passage in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 12 through 15. And that's the one that speaks of, of our works being like wood, hay, or stubble versus precious stones, gold, and silver. You need that scripture again? 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15. And that's a wonderful image because basically the things you've done are going to be like wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stones. And if it's tried by fire, only the gold, silver, and precious stones survive. Everything else gets consumed, 
Okay, so a lot of the things we have done in this world are just wood, hay, and stubble, right? It's, it's, it's done in this world. It's going to stay in this world. It does not matter in eternity. What, what would be sad is if everything we do is just wood, hay, and stubble. That's what we don't want. That's why, that's why serving God, serving Christ, doing ministry, funding those things, doing those things, that's why it matters because those are the only things that go with you, and they're all connected to people. All right, let's go a little bit further. Verse 12 and verse 13 tell us about um, a judgment of condemnation. I want, I want to read this carefully, and I want you to notice the word books, plural, and the word book, singular, which is the book of life. So let me just read it again, verse 12 and verse 13. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Plural, okay? This, this would be the books that contain all the deeds that everybody's done. You know, they didn't have databases and flash drives and hard drives. This is just communicating it in the form of books, okay? The books were open, and another book, single book, was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell gave up the debts which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds deeds. And then jump down to verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book, singular, of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So just think of these two things. You got books over here that are deeds, and you got one book over here, which is the book of life. If your name is in the book of life, that's, that's Jesus' book. Lamb's book of life. If your name's in the book of life, then these books over here, they matter, but they don't determine your destiny. This does, because it's the book of life. If your name's not in that book, the only thing left are your works, your deeds. That's it. That's the only thing left. And it's never about salvation according to works. It's never about that. Like you can't do enough to earn salvation. But your works will demonstrate whether you truly believe. And in the final judgment, when everyone's deeds are exposed, that will show if this person ever truly believed or not. Now, the way of thinking, you're thinking about somebody who lived a long life. You know, what about people who at the last minute of their life, you know, finally believe, okay? The only thing they really did, the one work that mattered, was they believed in Jesus Christ. That puts them in the book of life, and they don't have to worry about all that other stuff again. But that's how it's laid out. Deeds and the book of life. You get in the book of life through faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, the only thing left is your life is judged by the things you've done. And frankly, none of us want that to be the case. We don't want to be judged based on the things that we've done. Now, have you ever noticed in our court system, we have so many things that kind of come out of the New Testament. When it's time for the sentencing in a court in our country, they make the defendant stand. You notice that? There's a reason for that. And in the scripture, it's that way too. I mean, we, we got it from the scripture. You stand not for the trial, you stand for the sentencing at the end. Okay, that's what's going on here. This is not a judgment where we're holding court and God's going to figure out. It's not that. This is a final judgment. It's for the sentencing. This is, this is where it's just said and done. And have you ever heard people say, and, and maybe they mean it well, but they'll say things like, when I get before God, I'm going to ask him a few questions. All right, nobody's going to be asking questions before the great white throne. They're not going to be some sassy woman down there like, I got a few things to say to you. Not going to happen, okay? If, if you could get away, you would get away. That's how it's going to be for everybody. Not anyone asking questions. This is not 
This is not an argument. This is not state your case. This is the sentencing side of the final judgment. That's what we're looking at. So, and the dead were judged according to their works. The book of life is the only way out. I do want to give you a scripture out of Matthew 11. It's verses 20 to 24. And it speaks of kind of degrees of punishment. And I don't know, you know, if you read Dante's Inferno or something like that when you were coming up, you know, he talks about all these levels of hell. Well, he didn't get that from the Bible, but he did get the idea from Jesus that, you know, the, the eternal punishment will be according to what you've done. And frankly, some people have done worse than others. You know, that's at least the best we can understand it. And their eternal torment will match whatever it is that they've done. Okay. Uh, to me, if you get thrown into the lake of fire, I don't guess what level or how bad it is. It's all bad. But again, if you want to go back and look at that, that's Matthew eleven twenty 20 to 24, where there's kind of degrees of punishment for believers. That phrase about the sea, giving up the dead in that, I believe that is simply to tell us that everyone's included. Because in the ancient world, you know, to be lost at sea was, you know, was terrible for a Jewish person because they've always... Um, had such great respect for the body. Um, we don't sometimes think of it in the same way. Like often we think this body's going to wear out and die and I'm going to heaven and I get a new body. Well, it's not exactly like that. Your body gets resurrected. Okay, You don't get a total like new body and this one's just trash. This one gets resurrected. You know, Jesus had a, a real body. He was born in this world, a real body. It died. That body died. And on the third day, it was resurrected. It still had the scar marks, but it was perfect. Now you're saying like, I want to get rid of my scars. Yours is not going to have scars. His scars need to show. That's my best guess for that. You know, his scars need to show. But he was resurrected. And after he was resurrected, he did some things in the body that normal people can't do. He was the superhero before the superheroes. You know, he, he's the one who could appear in the room without opening the door or coming in through the window. He's the one who they were eating with him, talking with him. And he just lifted up off the ground, went right up through the sky and disappeared. That just sounds like a movie to me, you know. So he was the superhero before there were superheroes. But he was in his real body, the same body that made breakfast and fish and ate, it, ate with them, you know, same body. So your body's going to die. It'll turn into ash somewhere, uh, or it could be lost at sea. But God knows where you are, and he's capable of resurrecting you from wherever you Your atoms are going to be somewhere. So if you get cremated, you can put you back together. That's right. That's exactly right. And I'm not kidding when I say this. I had that question this week. Like somebody contacted me and asked my thoughts on cremation because of what it does to the body. And I'm like, well, if you get cremated and they throw your ashes out at sea, God still knows where you are. Yeah. It's no different than if you actually got lost at sea, you know. If they, if they, if they took you and, and you fell off the cruise ship, you know, nobody ever found you. God knows where your body went. And you're like, but I got eaten by a fish. Well, okay, but God knows where you are. Yeah, your name in the book of life. So it's the Lamb's book of life, and there's two ways to look at it. Some people say when you're born again, your name gets written in the book. Okay, I've always looked at it the opposite way, that everybody's name's in the book of life. But if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, your name gets blotted out of the book of life because the Scripture says that. You know, it says, uh, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. That's in uh, Revelation 2 or 3. I can't remember which chapter it's in. So, and, and that shows the intention that God wants to save everybody. 
And if you're, if, you know, God intends for, so every child ever conceived, born in this world, is, their name's in the book of life. But when you get old enough to sin, you're in danger of your name not being in the book of life. And if you don't believe, your name will be blotted out and you will not be in the book of life. That's my way of looking at it, John. Absolutely. And so then we come to, in verse 14 to 15, death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. So here, here's the way I look at that. Death is a result of sin. And Hades is that word for where people go who don't go to heaven, you know. And those both are connected to sin. And so in the final judgment, sin is done away with. And so the things connected with sin are also done away with, death and Hades. But there is a, a final place known as the lake of fire. So death and Hades, they all get place of the grave all get thrown into the lake of fire. So now there's only the new heaven and new earth, which is next chapter, and then there's the lake of fire. Only those two options. Yes, sir. Does that mean for the final thousand years that there will be no death? There will not be death for the resurrected saints. But the people that were on the earth, it just, the Bible doesn't say specifically, but the assumption would be that, that, that they would die. You know, because they'll still be in the same bodies they were in when, when Christ returned. Uh, as, a, as a person who doesn't believe but somehow survived the tribulation period, here they are on the earth. And Christ is returned and he came with his saints. They are, however, in resurrected bodies and they are not going to die. That's why I say it's going to be so spectacular. It's unlike anything you and I have ever seen or ever known. And, you know, it'll be like living in the world today with this group of people over here that never die and are perfect in every way. That's what it would be like for us. Well, I think, I think the 144,000 is a representation of the whole number, ever how many it's going to be. Sure do. There, I like the idea that there is a specific number, um, but that, that's the way Revelation speaks of it, 144,000. It does. All right, now let me give you these words for hell in the Scripture. They're Sheol, which is a Hebrew word. It just means place of the dead. Sheol, it's not necessarily anything more than just we're talking about where the dead go. Okay? Then there's Hades, which is a Greek word, and it just kind of means the world beyond. It sometimes gets translated bottomless pit. Uh, it is sometimes referred to as the place where the demons were held as prisoners in the Greek text in Hades. Then there's a, another word, it's Guyana, and that is a Greek word that's borrowed from Hebrew. That's kind of confusing. And that describes a place outside of Jerusalem, Guyana. And it was a place where they had human sacrifice at one point. It's a place that was a giant dump outside of Jerusalem. It's a place where, you know, have you ever been around a trash pile, uh, a big trash thing that, that just burns all the time? Like it never goes out? Okay, outside of Jerusalem, there's a valley that to this day, it still smolders, you know, it's just always been that way. Environmentalists don't like it, of course. But that was the word used to describe the place that the Bible incorporated to describe hell. It's this place nobody wants to go, it's always burning, there's always worms, there's always nastiness, no one wants to be there. And that's the word that was used to describe uh, hell. That's it. And so death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire. Now. Go a little further down where it speaks of the second death. Verse 14, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
So the first death is whatever physical death someone experiences. That's the first death. But then to stand in judgment, to be resurrected and stand in judgment, be condemned and be thrown into the lake of fire, that is a second death. So remember how the scripture said for the resurrection, blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. So the first death did. They died, but they were resurrected. There is no more death for them. They will never die. Okay? But for those that died the first time and didn't believe, there is another level of death. They'll never know life, but they'll know a deeper death. So for us, we know life today. We know abundant life through Christ. We're going to know something called resurrection life in the time of the resurrection. So we're going to know what it is to live without any vestige or taint of sin in the, in the body. That's just that. So there's, a, there's an even higher life left for us in the resurrection. But for people that don't believe, there's something worse than death. And that is to go on existing forever and ever in a place that faces the wrath of God and the torment of God. So there's something worse than dying. That's the second death. And so that's what the scripture says. And then in verse 15, it's just that wonderful summary to make it clear to everybody. If your name's not found in the book of life, you're thrown into the lake of fire. So here's how I kind of want to wrap this up before the, the students get here. Chapter 20 gives us this big, you know, it's like broad brushstrokes, helps us understand. Okay, so we, we understand that there is a binding of Satan. There is a return of Christ and a reign of Christ for a thousand years. Whenever that's over, there is a final judgment. And then there is what we could describe as the death of death. It's the death of death. That's what we're reading in this chapter. And then eventually there's eternal punishment. And we talked about this last week. I can't remember exactly how I, how I said it. Let me find my notes. Y'all remember when I said I had seven pages of notes for this chapter? Seven pages of notes. I just, this is the way I said it last time we talked about it. Final is final. Final is final. So when you read a chapter like this, and, and by the way, this is a good chapter just to sit down with people that don't believe and say, you may show you something really fantastic. You may not understand all the Bible. Let me blow your mind. Revelation chapter 20. Just read it to them. You know, it sounds like something out of a movie. And then just talk to them a little bit about it. And they may look at you and say, you people really believe that? Yes, we do. We absolutely do. And, and somewhere along the way, they're going to see how convinced you are that you believe these things. Because final is final. And if you care about people, you want them to understand the truth. I know there's a way to do it tactfully. I know we have to be careful. I know we want to be nice to people. I get it. But the most loving thing you can ever do for somebody is to tell them the truth at the right time. Just tell them the truth. And, and if people don't know it, what we're talking about in chapter 20, they need to know it. And however you get that conversation started, you, know, you can talk about it for yourself. Say, look, well, I know one day I'm going to stand before God. What are you talking about? Let me tell you. One day I'm going to stand before God. And so will everybody else. That's a little different from saying, and so will you. You know, but you're still saying, so will everybody else. They know it's them. They know they're everybody else. We're all going to stand before God. And if that's the case, it changes the way we live, changes the way we think, changes the way we think about Jesus. All of that's true if we know that one day we're going to stand before our maker. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you.
You have been so good to us, and we consider ourselves among some of the blessed people and most blessed people to ever walk the earth because we are the recipients of your undeserved, unmerited, unlimited grace. And God, you just poured that out on us, and you just did it because you love us, and that's amazing to us. We ask that um, you help us to live like people who've received grace and to offer it freely to people around us who don't deserve it, just like we don't deserve it. And let us be that kind of witness for you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for being here tonight.